Hi, I'm Harriet Small. Welcome to Have You Got Five Minutes? PR comms and marketing podcast answering the things you'd normally have asked someone really quickly about at an event or while making a brew in the office. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Harriet. How are you? I'm good. So we're talking this week about gifts. I'm a big fan of a gif. Sometimes it's just not the words. A gif is a lot easier. Uh, there was a time where I, I was feeling a little bit guilty that all I did was communicate through gifs, especially on Twitter. But they're so liberating. Like They just capture your your feelings and your emotions in such a nice way yeah and I think sometimes it's just it can be easy you can have like a complex thing you can think about saying but actually a picture or an expression particularly from something that's like a well-known tv show or film or a gift you've seen before that can just kind of say it all and I think that adds a lot of humor plus we're all suckers for video and something visual aren't we yeah and it's really hard actually to not find an asset pack in terms of comms like visuals without gifts nowadays i mean i've seen some really cool stuff from people like google monzo starbucks and nasa did a really cool one as well while back to get their message across stepping aside from like the big brands and how they do it i think a lot of corporate accounts again convey quite a bit or really engage communities and their audiences by using different gifts and certainly in threads like we've talked about doncaster a lot they often do that to kind of get complex stuff and tell a story it's a really good free asset to use yeah especially when you've got low budget there's a really good campaign a couple of years ago that the nhs blood and transplant service did so basically they put out comms and a campaign around looking for black donors and then they had pushback from people saying well why are you only looking for black donors and then they did this really good thread explaining why they need black donors why it's so important and they used a lot of gifts and when you're doing things like twitter threads it can be hard to read so much text whereas i think when you have things like gifts it breaks it down and it just makes it a little bit more easier yeah as a visual tool that's been quite quick on social i think they've got a really good a really good reach also responding as well to stuff coming in it's a really quick way to kind of add a bit of humor on the flip side i think with gifts there's also the aspect of diversity and inclusion so for example josephine graham wrote a really good piece on comms 2.0 in 2018 about using all women gifts and i try and use majority female gifts unless like it's specific to that person if you are a corporate account or even an individual it's really good to put alt text on the gifts if you can and then also the the issue of blackface and gifts you know recently we had the oprah gif that's gone everywhere and is, is shared prolifically about um the mega market interview of were you silent or were you silenced and you know it's really great and everyone's using it black women aren't afforded those same opportunities to be expressive in the way that we see in gifts and there's a really good article on teen vogue about the history of blackface and gifts and, and why it's something people need to be mindful of yeah i think as a parent as well like you see quite a lot of like ones the kids as well i think sometimes you have to be selective like why you're using something why is it that you find it funny is it relevant it's always good just to have that like a moment to go like why am I sharing this um is it appropriate and also what show it's from because sometimes from tv shows as well you'll find something check where something's from before you like know what you're using before you use it somebody used a gif recently which was from a tv show but they were mocking black women's hair in the original show and then this person used the gif and I don't think they realized and if people have awareness of actually what was that moment and you don't then then yeah people can start getting a perception of you that you may not like 
So this week we're joined by Janelle Aldred, a former newsreader and journalist for the BBC, ITN and ITV. She now runs GAC, a communications consultancy helping people, brands and organisations with their communications. So media training as a a PR can seem quite daunting when you're new to it. Could you share some of the basics for someone working with a client or a spokesperson to get them ready for a media opportunity? I think one, try and gather as much information as you can about the kind of questions or the format. Is it in person? Can I do it by email to make the client comfortable and then I think also furnishing your client with three big talking points that they can kind of return to if things get tricky and also just not trying to make your client be a robot let them express themselves the way they want to do I think a lot of PRs try and say well say it like this and do it like this I think it's about finding middle ground of how can they say it that gets you what you want but also allows them to showcase their personality. Yeah, really hits on something me and Harriet were talking about the other day. So my background's working in sport. I worked in professional football and then worked in Olympic sport. And I was saying what was really crazy was it's almost like for a lot of athletes, their personality's like hammered out of them. They have personality. It's that balance of like helping them find their their voice, isn't it? And I think social media actually helps with this because a lot of them, you see their personality through their social media. Where the problem occurs is when people try to bash that out for an interview. And then you see these two different personalities of someone who seems really fun and then someone who's like super stiff, which can come across defensive actually to the person interviewing them if they've come to know them differently. That's why I think it's so important to not try and make people be this like box because it it gives you an inconsistent brand story. Is there someone that you've seen who does this really well? I think Ian Wright is a great example of showcasing a personality in a way that is playful at times but also serious when he needs to be. So if he's serious you don't not take him seriously but if he's been fun you don't think oh that's really odd. I think he has a great way of, of managing to get the tone right and I think over the years, it's interesting to see how the reaction to him has changed, because I also think that he's someone who, as we've seen him more and more as himself, not footballer, we've seen more of his personality. And I think there's a much warmer reaction to Ian right now than there was even five years ago. I think that's testament to the way that he's just continued to be himself and let the rest of us catch up to that personality. So on my side, I do a lot of internal comms and I'm in-house and a lot of my role is supporting leaders and helping them to be more visible and doing a lot of live sessions, especially over the last year. Do you have any tips of how I can help leaders, especially if they're new to an organisation or they're not used to being in the spotlights? I think a good way of doing that is to understand what persona does this leader want to have in this brand? Because I think if they then know what kind of leader they want to be and how they want to be portrayed, then that can help you to get that messaging aligned with that. And I think a lot of people don't actually know that. So even just by asking them that question, that helps them to think about how they would like to do their comms. You know, some people are like player manager, they want to be in the team, with the team and managing the team. And then some people just manage as managers. They they don't want, they're not in the team. It's very clear, you know, they are in charge. And there's some people who like to lead from the centre. So if they know how they want to lead, then you can help them think about how does that personality manifest itself. And I do think, you know, there's different schools of thought. Some people say, wait, see what the ground is like. And I'm more, you should be yourself from the get-go. Because if you try to play a role and then all of a sudden you change into this different creature, it's so confusing for staff. People don't know who you are. So I think it's always about what kind of persona do you want to be? What are you like as a person? Some people think they're very charismatic and they're actually, they're not. Um, And I think it's a really tough one. But actually, if charisma is not your strength, what is your strength? 
because your strength might be your cerebral thinking. Okay, well, how can we put a front-facing face on that persona? And I think that's how you can help leaders. And again, it just goes back to that. We're not trying to make you into what the last manager was. And we're not trying to make you into somebody else. What we're trying to do is give the staff the best experience of you that they can have. What are the things that help people sort of get over their nerves and especially when dealing with those tough questions and then also if someone's an introvert but they're doing that external facing role do you have any thoughts and tips to help them? I think the first thing is think of it as a performance and perform you know if someone's acting you know the lights could fall down they're going to keep going and I think there's an element of that when we are trying to be in front of the press is just perform your piece with the highs and lows and how you want to do it and don't worry too much about how they're reacting to your performance because they're not actually your audience and I think it's always important to keep that who you're talking to you know talking to the interviewer you're talking to your customers at home how would they like to see your brand represented so I think that's the first thing that I always think is quite important and then in terms of thinking about how to get past nerves For me, I think it's because we categorise nerves as bad. Nerves are not bad. Nerves are just a very natural reaction to caring about something, to want something to go well. If it's debilitating, then I think maybe (laughs) some time away to go work on that. But in general, I think I use nerves as fuel. So I use nerves as a reminder of how much I care, how much I want to get it right. I use them as a reminder to watch out for things that could potentially trip me up and to let it be that kind of passion that gets me started. And then with the focus on the audience, hopefully those nerves begin to fall away as you get into it. And the other thing is, I think, which is something that obviously I've not practiced during these answers, is to talk slowly. I think the biggest thing people do is they kind of get out of there like a bad hell, lose their breath within the first two sentences and nearly can't finish because they've got no air. And I think there's there's a big temptation to always answer straight away. And sometimes actually pause, think about the answer, how are you going to get into it, how are you going to get out of it, and then speak. Could you talk to us a little bit about ethical storytelling and why it is that this is essential in the era of misinformation and fake news and polarisation? So ethical storytelling to me is just really thinking about end user. I've been journalist and digital and I remember, you know, you're writing these headlines that someone's going to click on, you know, that's the big thing. And when you're part of it, you're not always thinking about it as clickbait. It's just part of your job because all we're thinking about is how can I excite people? How can I interest people? You know, from the time I was doing it, God, nearly 10 years ago, you know, a lot's changed. And I think it probably has become slightly more intending to be shock and awe rather than just trying to get someone to click on because now we have to go further and further. But I think it's about thinking about end user at the end of a headline. It's very easy to think about stats and we talk about poor people and we talk about refugees and we talk about black people and we talk about women and we talk about white men. But at the end of all of this chat is a person and people who make up these statistics. And so I think part of ethical storytelling is thinking about how does end user feel about the way they're spoken about? How does end user feel about, are we using patronizing language? Are we infantilizing people? Are we speaking out of turn? Are we speaking about groups of people we don't actually know much about? And when we consider those things and when we think about end user in the room, reading story, hearing story, I think then sometimes we have a different way of writing that is more sensitive and is more ethical and keeps 
the humanity in groups of people. Leading on from that, around curating sort of nuanced conversations, particularly outside of the mainstream, you recently hosted an excellent discussion. And I mean, I thought I wanted it to go on for hours. The monarchy and the press and Meghan Markle. And with your new book, Communicating the Change, Moving Past Singular Narratives, why is it so important to make space for nuanced conversations and different narratives? And how do people actually do it? It's just something that I think we just lack so much. It's it's almost as if we feel we can't hold two things in our head at the same time. That I could be happy for someone else, but sad for myself. That I can believe that people need to have the self-determination to pull themselves out of their circumstances, but also recognise that there may be so many obstacles in their way, that's just not a possibility for where they are right now. But it's almost like we can't hold those two things. So it's kind of you either believe that people need to do better or you believe they can't help themselves at all. And neither of those things are found to be true. And I think we forget even the nuance that lives inside of us when we enter these conversations and how we are often ourselves on a sliding spectrum of thought about different issues and how they change and grow over time. And I think if we are to see a more just, more equal world, then we have to be able to not only allow ourselves to hold two thoughts, but allow other people to hold two thoughts. And must not only allow ourselves to journey, but allow other people to journey. So this kind of thing of, well, you are just not getting this right. And so therefore, you must be evil, you must have ill intention, you must hate everyone. We really need to think about how can we be inclusive if we exclude people who we disagree with. We have to hold space. And I think because we don't have a good conversation around holding space, because we don't try to disagree well, because we inherently think people wish us ill if they don't agree with us, and because we are very quick to shut down conversation, it's just very hard for us to get to that space where it's like, okay, well, this is a nuanced to good conversation. And I think every side thinks that they're very virtuous and reasonable. Therefore, the other side is not virtuous and not reasonable. And until we can, all of us, see that there is unreasonableness in all of us and a problematicness, new word, um, in all of us, it's just very hard to see how we progress the conversation. And my book, which is actually going through a bit of a title change at the moment, bless my editors, they um, publishers, they're very patient, is all about, you know, how do we navigate this world of bias? But it starts and, and we start having these better conversations by admitting we all have it and not by thinking that it's everybody else that's the problem. And I think that is the way we hopefully start. I think in the last year, it's very difficult because we've gone through the pandemic and, and some people have, have really gone through a difficult time and they've, they've suffered a lot of loss, whether that be personal, financial. And at the same time, there's other people who have kept working, retained their job. Some people have even succeeded, but it doesn't mean that they're not going through their own sort of pain, their own sort of struggle. And we almost end up in this sort of world of them and us. There's so many ways of people shutting down conversations rather than sort of saying, let's listen, let's find out how everyone's been impacted. And We use the word narcissistic a lot these days. Well, to an extent, every single human being is very selfish because that is the art of survival. It's how we're wired. We're wired to stay alive. And to stay alive means that you have to neutralise threat. So most of us are narcissistic by nature and look out for our own interests by nature. In the current world, because the dangers are different and we, we haven't really caught up with how to deal with them differently, there is very much a sense of 
it's almost like if, if you say that was bad for you, then that must mean that I'm that means that I'm okay or that you're saying that I'm okay. And there's something in us that feels gets very strong about that and very defensive about that. So I live by myself. So I can say, oh, well, my friend, you don't understand because, you know, I'm by myself and I would just love to have a hug and I would love to, you know, so I can be like, poor me, centre of my world. But in the centre of your world might be, I'm living with someone I absolutely can't stand and every time I see them, it sets my whole being on edge. And, you know, to that person, they would love to be by themselves. <laughs> and I would love to be with someone, even if I can't stand them, in my mind. And so because we're just all living it from our lens and because we've stopped trying to be in someone else's shoes, because, you know, we live in a world where I feel it, therefore it's true. Well, you know, feelings aren't facts and feelings are very bad managers. But we live in a space that says, because I feel it, it is so. And so you almost, we're in a space now where you can't counter anything, but we all want to be the worst off. Because for some reason, that's kind of where it's at. Well, you don't have it as bad as me. Rather than trying to level up, level up, level up, it's like we race to the bottom. It is really hard. And, and you know, kind of going back to the reason why I had the conversation that we had around Meghan Markle and the monarchy in the press was because actually I wanted to have the conversation with people who were educated, with a variety of different women from different ethnic backgrounds, who can look at a situation and speak about it with nuance without arguing about some of the facts. So we spend a lot of time arguing about is it racism or not, when I just really feel we should move past that conversation. I think we all know at the bottom of that dirty barrel is racism. And actually, let's have a nuanced conversation about how we got here and how it got to this state, rather than debating the basics. And so I think in a lot of these instances, we end up debating the basics. Who's worse off? Who's had it worse? When it's just different. It's not worse, it's just different. And everything is bad to the individual who feels it. So diversity and inclusion has never played a bigger role on the corporate agenda. And I know many businesses and organisations are trying to find a way of becoming more attractive to talent. What role does communications play in that, both internally and externally? I think that a lot of companies are focused on strategy, getting people in the door, but not focused on the comms of how you comms that person in. So it's not special, but specific treatment. And I think on YouTube about kind of, are your senior management and HR team actually bought in? Because if you have not comms effectively to them, you know, senior manager says, is everyone on board? And everyone says, yes, yes, yes. And then nothing happens. So why is that? So unless you comms effectively and you realize that you've comms effectively and message has landed and that people are allowed to have honest conversations, whether things are right or wrong. And I think we get a lot into the right and wrong things to say rather than looking at behaviour. We cast people as bad, and sometimes they are bad, but sometimes we just need to let them have their honest conversation. A lot of managers actually don't feel capable of managing diverse teams because they're not actually confident to manage people who aren't like them. And unless we comms all these things and have conversations, then person just doesn't do anything and you don't know why. Equally bad is person who is not good at managing people not like themselves, hires people, damaging toxic situation is equally as bad. Some staff feel their noses are out of joint because they feel all of a sudden their promotion opportunities are limited because of quote unquote diverse talent. So I think it's important to really comms what a business is trying to do what the end goal is and how this is a win for everybody because unless you get people on board you are bringing people into an unpleasant situation and so I think there needs to be that commsing internally and then in terms of externally 
so many people like, well, we've tried to recruit black staff and no one applies. Well, that's because on your website, every single person is white. So why would someone want to join that and feel potentially uncomfortable? All your senior board are men. Why would a woman want to join? Thinking that there's no opportunity for her at that table. We never, hardly ever talk about disability and able-bodiedness and what that looks like on, on a website in imagery and videos. When externally people see a monoculture, well, of course, that looks like a path of a lot of resistance. <laughs> and so most people do not choose to take that path. So I think it, there is a comms thing to be done internally and externally. But if you just focus on strategy, you'll never think about these things. You'll get people in the door and it will be a revolving one. And you've got experience and skills that cover kind of the entire communication spectrum. And what advice would you give someone about honing their skills in a particular area or wanting to upskill and and sort of develop in a particular comms area? I think self-critique is the best friend of everybody. And I think it's the thing that we kind of shy away from the least. Um, we do something that we think we're not very good at or we'd like to get better at and oh gosh just get it over with and just uh, done it never to be seen again but actually you know I run comms courses like I tell people you have to watch yourself back on video you might hate the way you look you might hate your voice but unless you can watch yourself back you cannot improve it unless you are able to read through your work with a critical eye, you'll never get better at it. And you can ask other people to critique, but most of us do confirmation bias. So if someone says something, we disregard it anyway because we don't want to know. So it is important to be your own best friend in the sense of, I can look at this and say, this was good and this was not. I could get better at this. I could, you know, this is where I'm really strong. So for me, in the end, the main person that you'll listen to is yourself in real terms, unless you pay someone a lot of money. The thing that I would definitely say as well to not do is mentoring is very specific, but a lot of people will go to their comms friend like me and ask for advice. Now, I don't give my friends any advice anymore, 2021 resolution, because they never take it because it was free. We either listen to ourselves or we listen to someone that we've normally paid for or is officially mentoring us. So I think one, self-critique, but two, when we're looking for the people outside of us, is to go to someone that you actually professionally respect enough to either ask them to mentor you or to pay them to teach you something. Because I think, again, that is where you will take the advice and the growth. And never parent. I'll never ask a parent. (laughs) No. Thanks for joining us. And everything we've mentioned will be in the show notes. We're here to answer the questions you need answers to and talk about the PR, communications and marketing topics you care about because we've got five minutes. You can DM us or contact Myself, Harriet, at comsoveracoffee.com and Rebecca at threadandfable.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please do rate, review and subscribe so others can find us. Find us on Twitter at Rebecca7Roberts and at Harriet Smallsey.